so yeah, welcome everybody. My name is Pastor Lori, and thank you for um, coming today in what I, it sounds like a torrential downpour, maybe. So I'm glad you're inside where it's dry, and um, I want to just welcome you to, like Chris said, this is the second week of our Lent series um, called Witness, where we're taking a look at, I'll speak louder if I need to, <laughs> uh, where we're taking a look at the final days of Jesus through the lens of some people who were significant in his life in those final days. We're going to primarily do that through the last couple chapters of Matthew. So I would encourage you, I think Pastor Eric said last week, he told you that, so I would encourage you to read the last couple chapters of Matthew so that you can really dig in deep from, from Sunday to Sunday of what we're going to be talking about. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about the high priest Caiaphas, remember that? And like Chris said, if you missed that, you can catch up on Vimeo or, or check out the podcast. Um, next week, he's going to be teaching about Judas. Dodged a bullet there. I didn't want to teach about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that I am teaching today about someone who is known in the, in, this, in the chapter that we're going to be reading as a woman in Bethany. So I'm going to invite up my very good friend, Jay Vanchur, who is sporting her Walk for Life shirt which I am appreciative of. The walk is next Saturday, and she's going to be out at the Pathways booth if you want to hear more about what this shirt represents. But she's also going to dive into our, our scripture by reading that for us today. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Listen as Jay reads these words. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. <clears throat> While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman? for doing such a good thing to me. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Thank you, Jane. So, yeah, we're going to take a look at this story. That how, who, who is that story familiar to? Most of you have heard that story, right? So we're going to dig in deep into that story, and we're going to start with talking about, I'm, I'm going to set the scene for you, okay? From what the text says, we know that we're in Bethany. Bethany is a village just a few miles east of Jerusalem. As a reminder, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Um, they stop over in Bethany. They're at the home of Simon, who is a leper. Um, who is in the room? Simon, because it's his house, right? The disciples, the 12 disciples that are closest to Jesus. These are the men that have been traveling with Jesus. Um, they're, they're there. And then Matthew's text tells us that there is a woman there and that she pours out this expensive perfume on Jesus' head. That's pretty much what Matthew tells us about this woman. But I'm going to pause for a moment and point you to John's account of this story. So over in John, he identifies her as Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. We're going to talk some more about her and her story in a few minutes. But so we have, we're in Bethany, 
We're in Simon's home. Simon is there. The disciples are there. uh, We're going to say Mary is there. Matthew's gospel says a woman is there. And there may be other people there, but these are the characters that we're going to take a look at and try and, and connect to for our journey. So I want to also, while we're paused for just a moment and say that since I'm going to be referring to her as Mary, which comes actually from John's gospel, I want to just point out that the differences between Matthew's gospel and John's gospel and Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel about this account, it, they're, they're details, okay? Don't get hung up on the fact that Matthew doesn't say that it's Mary. I want to just push on you a little bit and say, consider some significant event that has happened in your life in the past three years. Big event. Lots going on and that you shared with someone else. And if I were to invite you and that other person up here to tell me the details or tell us the details of that significant event, you may or may not have exactly the same details. That's what's happening here, okay? I know that's true for me. I was thinking about a story as I was preparing for this week. A little over three years ago, my husband Carl and I went on an amazing trip to Savannah. It was a beautiful gift. We actually got to fly there in a private plane. Ron Fisher flew us to Savannah. We stayed in an amazing small inn. We had incredible food. We saw some, we had beautiful weather. I mean, it was just a precious time for us. And if I invited Carl up here, which I'm not going to do because I love him very much and want him to stay with me forever, so Hugh stayed there. But if he were to come up here and we were to share the details of this trip, we likely wouldn't have exactly the same details, right? There are some things that we would remember maybe differently or some things that that he would remember that I wouldn't or more likely that I would remember and he wouldn't, but that's another story for another day. Um... So don't get hung up on the fact that the, the Gospels treat this, this story slightly differently. One thing I will point out um, as I was preparing this week, I, I read several scholars actually believe that when Luke is pointing to this story, he's actually remembering a different story. So I'd encourage you to read that, but read it through the lens of it's actually a different event. So um, that's worth noting because I'm going to refer to this woman as Mary from here on out, okay, or mostly anyway. So we're going to take a closer look. We've talked about where we are and whose house we're in. And now we're going to talk about some of the people. So we're going to start with Simon. It's his house. He, is, he, has, he was uh, a leper. And we know that he was a leper. He's no longer a leper. He was healed, likely by Jesus. We know that he is no longer a leper. One of the ways that we know this is because in Jewish culture, and Jewish law, I should say, at that time... Simon would not have been able to host the people at his home if he were still a leper. So he's been cured of the disease, but that doesn't mean that he's not still considered an outsider in his community, right? So he had, he had been a leper, and so he is still considered unclean and an outsider. Now, this is significant for, for at least the reason that this reminds us that during Jesus' time here on earth, These are the people that he hung out with, the outsiders, the people who were considered less worthy for some reason than the rest of the community. This is whose home Jesus has gone to. So also there, we know the disciples are there, 
Again, I, I mentioned this earlier. These are the 12, these are the guys. These are Jesus dudes. These are the guys that have been traveling with him. They, are, they have always been with him. When Jesus taught, they listened. When he traveled, they went. They spent the most time with him. Now, the reason I want to highlight that is because their response in this story is significant. The text says that they were angry with the woman. Actually, Matthew's gospel says in this translation, they were indignant for what she did. They considered it a waste that she poured out this oil on Jesus' head. They said the money from this oil could have been used to help so many poor. So they were angry that, that this seemed wasteful. And Jesus says, hey, back off of this woman. Don't, these are my, this is my translation, by the way. Don't you see that she has done a good thing for me? You will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. Now, that very language right there points back to a story in Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament, where God says, there will always be poor among you, but, but you will be blessed in how you care for them. So this isn't Jesus saying, don't, I don't care about the poor anymore. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, just one chapter previous to this chapter that we're in today, he calls for radical care and generosity for the poor. All through Jesus' teachings, we see that theme. So he's not, he's not saying, hey, I don't care about them anymore. Right now, it's all about me. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is that there is some significance to what this woman has done. You will always have the poor. You will not always have me. He's saying this moment right now is important and significant. And further, this woman gets it. Mary gets it. Not the disciples who had spent a lot of time with Jesus up to this point. Mary is the one who gets it. He's, he's even told the disciples himself with his very own mouth what is going to happen. That he is going to be captured. He is going to be tortured. He is going to be killed. He has said this in multiple times, particularly to the disciples. And in this moment, they seem to be not getting that. Why is that? So when I first was starting my preparations for this week, I got a little irritated at the disciples. I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, these are the dudes that spent all the time with Jesus. How am I supposed to get it if they don't get it? What's my hope, right? But I want to remind you of something. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to remind you that um, what Jesus has told them is a pretty radical story. So to help you consider that, I want you to think of someone in your life who is incredibly significant, who you've spent a lot of time with over the last three years, and imagine this scene. They come to you, and they say, hey, here's this thing that's going to happen. I'm going to go to Syria. I'm going to allow myself to be captured by ISIS. I know I'm going to be tortured. 
I know that I am going to be killed, and it's okay. How would you imagine that you would receive that news? I say that because I don't know how much of it is that the disciples don't believe what Jesus has told them as much as it is they don't want to believe what he's told them is going to happen. They love him dearly. So before we judge too much the disciples' behavior in the story, consider how you might have acted if you were in in their shoes. Where we're going to spend most of our time, though, is on the woman, Mary. Now, let's talk about who she is. What do we know about her? If you turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, this is the first time we meet Mary. The words are going to be on the screen. I would invite you to listen as I read. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. The reason I point to this story is because I believe this is another time in Mary's life where she gets it. She gets who Jesus is and the significance of the moment that she's in. She believes that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So what is it that she does? Well, this is where we're going to unpack a little bit more of her story. We, like I said, she's Martha, the sister of, excuse me, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. It says that she takes a jar, an alabaster jar, and pours oil over Jesus' head. Now, I got to tell you, I couldn't find an alabaster jar in Tallahassee that, or one that I could afford. This is truly the best that Hobby Lobby had to offer. So take it all in, take it all in. Isn't it gorgeous? Please, you can come up here and touch it later if you'd like. (laughs) Um, I wanted to have a visual, though, because I think there's some significance to what the jar is and what it represents, not just the jar itself, but certainly the contents. So let me tell you a little bit about Jewish culture. Jewish women commonly wore a flask, probably not quite as round as this. It was probably flatter but it was an alabaster jar full of this oil, varying degrees of oil. The oil was likely nard, and it was probably imported from India, which is why it was so expensive. In Jewish culture, the women, these jars were so significant to who they were that they were actually allowed to wear it even on the Sabbath. It was not considered an adornment. It was considered a part of who they are. So we said it was very expensive. The, um, we, we find out that the, the ointment is said to be worth a year's wages. Now, take a moment and think about your annual salary and what that represents to you. 
Now, whether it's $10,000 or $100,000 a year, what does your salary mean to you? What does it represent? Maybe a little bit of your worth, perhaps? Probably, most likely, it would represent some security, what you would do with that money for the next year. So this is not a gift that didn't cost something. It cost Mary greatly. She gave, Mary gave what was most valuable to, to her. It was likely the only valuable thing that she had. We know that she lived in a home with her brother and her sister. She was not married. She, we, don't, we don't even know how she acquired it. Maybe it was a family portion, a family heirloom. She gave what was most valuable to her. And maybe the jar had a lid. Probably it did. But that didn't matter to Mary. Mary didn't portion it out. She broke the jar so that it all came out, reserving none of it for herself. She could have gone to Jesus and poured just enough on his head. That still would have been considered an anointing. The quantity doesn't matter. What we know about anointings is that they, in this culture, they were used for two primary purposes. One of those was for coronation of kings or setting aside someone for a special duty or a special purpose. And the other, one of the other uses or one of the other primary uses is, oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me mention that there's evidence of that in, in a couple of different places in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, Samuel anointed David to be king with oil. He used oil. Priest Zadok anointed Solomon to be king in 1 Kings. The other reason, <clears throat> excuse me, was to prepare people for burial. So this is an extravagant thing. You don't walk around and just dab it behind your ears as you're going about your day. It's not perfume in that way. Now, what I want to say is that Mary, through her act, was actually doing both things. She was acknowledging that Jesus had been set aside for a very important purpose for a very important work. And she was also preparing him for, her, for his burial. He knows what's about to happen in the coming days, and this is evidence that she does too. She knows. So how is it that the others miss it? So let's go back to like the story in Luke where Martha wanted Mary to get up and serve, and Jesus said she's made the better choice. She's ignoring the work, the work that will always be there, like the poor that will always be there. And she is giving him her undivided attention, all of her focus. So he's defending her and saying, guys, Mary gets this. She knows what's about to happen to me, and she's giving what is most valuable. This tells us that Mary clearly loved Jesus. And, and clearly understood who he was. She pours her whole self out through this one act. Remember, we talked about the disciples who were the ones who spent the most time with Jesus during his ministry and heard him say with his own mouth what was going to happen. And still, they miss it somehow. But Mary doesn't. 
The other thing we know about Mary is she doesn't even hesitate to pour it all out, to break open the jar. She doesn't consider the cost of it. She doesn't consider her wallet or her bank account, which might have been her security. She doesn't consider the clock or the calendar, which could have, could have been the thing that was hanging over her about her future. What would her future be without this thing? And she also doesn't consider the other people in the room who are wagging their fingers at her about her choice. She understands who Jesus is and she surrenders everything that she has through this one act. So I told you that as we go through this series, our job, what we want, is to take a look at these stories and look at these people and see where do we connect with them? How would we respond in their shoes, if we were in their shoes? Who are you in this story? Let's go back to Simon, the leper, the outsider. Maybe that's who you feel like. But I want to remind you that even if that's who you connect within this story, you still have something to bring to Jesus. Simon still had a home that he opened up. He still prepared a meal or provided a meal at the very least. And Simon's story is significant because we're reminded throughout the Gospels, particularly in Mark, I've heard Pastor Eric say this many times, Jesus, oftentimes, the best disciples were the people who were on the outside. They were described as outsiders by other people. So even if you do feel like you're an outsider, you still have something to offer. Maybe you feel most like the disciples, where you're just still holding back from fully believing or fully surrendering to who Jesus is. Maybe you're more focused on the work of like when they talk about the poor, maybe, or even like Martha in Mary's previous story, where you're just busy with the details. I got to tell you, that, that resonates with me. I can focus a lot of attention on doing all of the good things and still hold on to, to some peace, some oil that I'm not willing to pour out. It's hardly... I, I can imagine the disciples not wanting to believe this because of their love for him. And also, it's overwhelming to think of what Jesus was going to endure for them, for us. And let me push on you just a little bit further and say, while we know Jesus did go through what he went through for us, the truth of the matter is, he would have done that for just me. And he would have done that for just you. There's not hardly a day that goes by that I don't have a hard time wrestling with that truth. He would have done all of this only for me. And still, still there are parts of me that I struggle to give to him. Maybe you sit here and you, are, you do feel like you're, you're, you're just connected with Mary. You're ready to surrender all that you have, holding nothing back. Mary doesn't offer just enough. 
Again, we talked about this. She could have poured out just enough oil to anoint Jesus. It would have, it would have prepared him sufficiently for burial, according to the culture. But that's not what she does. She pours it all out. And not only does she pour it all out, she breaks the vessel. There's no going back. There's no putting the oil back in the jar. There's no getting another jar. She's giving all of herself. And she is saying with that act that I am trusting you for my future. Mary gave God something that cost her something. Her security, maybe a family inheritance. Here's what I want you to hear. God doesn't want something from you that costs you nothing. God doesn't want something from you that costs you nothing. That is not a sacrifice. That is not surrender. If it is easy for you to give it, if it is a part of a checklist and you check the box, and here I'm going to be that girl and say, like if I'm just coming to church on Sunday, we love having you here. But this, this is, cannot be the fullness of your relationship with Jesus. He wants more than that, and he deserves more than that. Hear what I'm saying. It's great to come to church. Don't go home and tell somebody, Pastor Lori said, ah, it's not important. Nope. I'm saying that there, there needs to be more than just this. You can't do what's just enough. You have to give more. And you should want to give more because it's about your love and your adoration and your trust of Jesus. That's where the sacrifice is. <clears throat> when... Um, oh, I want to point out something else that I almost forgot to mention. Mary's act, as recorded in each of the Gospels, never mentions that she utters a word. It is not her words that tell people of her love for Jesus or her trust of Jesus. It is based solely on her actions. That gives me chills to say, because I'm in a, in a job, in a position where I say that a lot. But God help me always if you can't see that in my life. I get the opportunity to lead worship a lot of Sundays. And every time I'm up there, that's what I'm thinking of is full surrender. How can I leave it all right here? And I got to tell you, it's, I mean, the work itself is challenging, but it's, that's an easy spot to do that. That's an easy part of my life to just fully surrender and be fully tuned in, sitting at Jesus' feet. It's a lot harder on Tuesday night when I'm doing laundry and cooking a meal or maybe because I've missed a meal or rushing around to do all of the things that I'm supposed to do, all of the good things that I'm supposed to do. It's a lot harder for me to really, truly surrender in those times. And I guess, I would guess, because I meet with a lot of you, that you, some of you struggle with that too. When Pastor Eric and I were talking about this series and taking a look at the different characters that we were going to look at, 
There were, there were I mean, there's several weeks of, of this series. I chose this story. Not because she's a woman on the list, and hello, I'm a woman. I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if anybody has told you. Cat's out of the bag. That's not why I chose this story. It's because no matter how many times I have read this story and interacted with this story, there's always something here that intrigues me and resonates with me. And I think... (laughs) I think it's because I desperately want to be like Mary. I want to give all that I have always. I want to recognize Jesus when he's sitting before me and saying, here, here's everything that I have. I trust you with all of it, not just some of it, but with all of it. I want to be like Mary. But the truth is, more often than not, I'm like the disciples. I'm following Jesus. I'm listening to his teaching. For the most part, I'm doing what he's saying I should be doing. But in the hard times, in the quiet moments, I still sometimes miss him. I miss that he's there and what he wants from me. And that's everything. And not only does he want it, but he deserves it. Because no one has ever nor will ever do what he's done for me. So we're going to revisit these questions. Who are you most like in this story? And if your answer is not Mary, what is the thing that you're holding back from fully surrendering to God? Is it your time, your schedule? all of the important things that you have on your, as your responsibility? Is it your money? Gosh, that's hard to give up. It's because we put a lot of, a lot of trust in what our money can get us. And, and I'm, clearly, we operate in a society that requires you to have money. You're, you have to pay for a place to live and you have to pay for food. But are you trusting God with that? to direct that, how you spend that. Maybe you're holding on to your pride and maybe that involves the words that you speak to others or your control. That's a hard one for me. Maybe you're having a hard time releasing your anger about something that you feel justified in having. Maybe you're having a hard time surrendering your hurt. Maybe... The hurt came, honestly, someone hurt you. But are you surrendering that to Jesus? Maybe it's your trust. Maybe you can't give him these things because you don't really trust that he's going to provide and take care of all of these things. As you're in the Lent season right now that started last week, Many of you have made the decision to give up something. And if you haven't, I would, I would challenge you to consider doing that. It's not too late. The reason that we do that, the reason that we sacrifice something that, something, uh, that is hard to give up is because that thing has taken a position, an un, a, a bad position in our priorities. That's what you should focus on when you're thinking of what you want to give up for Lent. And you should replace it 
with the thing that should be at the top of your list, your time with God, your love, your focus, your attention. The reason that we journey through Lent is to bring us on that um, assessment of what is the order of the things in my life that I'm saying are important. And if God isn't at the top of it, what is that thing that's taking that place? And how can I spend some intentional time reordering my life? So as you go about your week, I want you to spend some time thinking about these questions that we asked. What's that last bit that you're not, you're just having a hard time releasing? The last thing that you just maybe aren't fully trusting God with. I ask you to spend some time in prayer, asking him to reveal to you what it is. Because you doing it is still you controlling it. It would be easy for me to put something at the top of the list and say this is the thing that's got a hold of my life, but maybe there's a part of me that's choosing that thing because I'm willing to give that up, and it doesn't really cost me anything. Ask God to tell you what that thing is or those things. As we go through this series each week, we're going to read a corporate confession, a prayer of confession together. There's a reason that we do that. It's because it's a reminder to us that we're on this journey together. So as God is revealing these things to you, bring someone into that conversation with you. Your growth group, a close friend, a spiritual advisor. Ask them to work through this with you. This isn't easy. And I'm not implying that it is, but I'm also not saying that it was easy for Mary It was a sacrifice. Look what she gave up because she understood who Jesus was and what was going to happen and what he was going to do. I'd invite you guys to stand with me as we read this prayer together and then the band is going to do a song. The song is, it talks about our freedom because of Christ. So know that this thing that you're holding on to, you don't have to. You have the power inside of you to release it. Jesus has made that possible. So after we read the prayer together, spend some moments during the song and start your journey of thinking, what are are the things that you have been unwilling to surrender? Let's read these words together. Father, We confess that at times we have held back something of ourselves from you. We confess that we have not worshipped you with all that we have, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, and all of our hearts. God, we confess that we want to be like Mary, reserving nothing for ourselves, but we allow fear or pride or doubt to stand in our way. God, we confess that we have been like the disciples and we have missed you in our lives, neglecting to acknowledge that you are who you say you are and you have done what you have said you would do for us. Forgive us, God, 
and help us be more like Mary, offering you a sacrifice that costs us something of ourselves. You alone are worthy of our extravagant love, God. Help us to remember that and show that through the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.